So if you've been with us through since January, or if you are new, what I want to let you know is that we are going through the New Testament this year, from beginning to end. And so you can read along with us if you go to millcitychurch.com slash NT2020. We've got resources there and reading plans. You could jump in right now. We are up to the book of John. And I remember saying in January, this is what I, I wrote down my actual quote. In January, I said, in the midst of the many narratives that will attempt to define the year, let's define our lives by the story of Jesus and his leadership in our lives. And at the time, I thought that that was clever and maybe like a little bit helpful. <laughs> but now I'm thinking it's maybe more in the critical and necessary category. Is there anything more important right now than having our eyes on the big story of God, on recognizing what Jesus is inviting us into to join in this story that God is telling, this redemptive story that even in the midst of suffering, God is moving, God is working, and we can join in. So we're all the way to the book of John now, and we're in the season of Lent. We're leading up to Easter in a few weeks, and we've been looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus. So Jesus says seven times, I am, and then he gives an identity statement about who he is in the book of John. And we're thinking about how who Jesus says he is helps us define who we are. So what is our true identity in Jesus? This is the question that we're asking, and it feels really critical right now. So I want to start out with just something that I've noticed. I'm sure most of you have noticed that the internet can be a little bit of a scary place right now. Some of you are like, it's always been a scary place at times. But of course, with all of the news and everything that's happening around the coronavirus, of course, it's a little bit of a scary place. But has anybody else noticed that it's all also kind of like the most hilarious that it's ever been right now? I think because people are just having extra time to hone in their craft of their online humor. And so, you know, there's been a few crashes and burns out there, but I feel like there's some memes that are like award-winning. And there are just some invitations and some funny things that people are saying where I have laughed out loud by myself in my room at times because it's so funny. And so the funniest one, if I had to pick a favorite of just this last week, it would be this prompt. All right, I'll put it on the screen. Your quarantine nickname is how you feel right now plus the last thing that you ate. I want you to think about that right now. What would you say? I'd love for you to, to, to chime in. I'll, I'll, I'd love to read your answer. So people said things like this. Anxious chicken wing, unsettled nacho chip, exhausted pickle. <laughs> so you can join right in. Just, just share yours. I'd love to see what you would put down if you were able to uh, just answer the question, your quarantine nickname. How is it how you feel right now plus the last thing that you ate, all right? It doesn't have to be clever. It doesn't have to rhyme. But here's some of my other favorites. I loved the disillusioned Twizzler. That one's hilarious. The panicked pretzel. The sweaty pound cake. I don't know if I thought that was funny or just really gross and I wanted to share that with you. I don't know. Sorry about that. Or the bored tater tot. I've felt like a bored tater tot at times in my life. So that's, I think, where people are at. So I'd love to see what, what anybody say. So Kevin says he's a content cinnamon roll. You, you've always just ate, eaten cinnamon rolls. That guy's always just eaten cinnamon rolls. Oak, oak is a silly waffle. Jenny in, is a, a tired kokaroo. Is that a cereal? That's a cereal, maybe. Okay. A lonely scone. Oh, Molly, everyone's a lonely scone. We, we need to get the lonely scones. Can we get some lonely scones here? <laughs> excited yogurt. Okay, Kirsten, excited yogurt. Stinky crustable. Wait a minute. Deb, Deb crustable, like the Pop-Tart thing? Okay, I'm not going to ask questions. Confused cereal uncertain scrambled eggs. All right, we'll continue your answers as you go. But here's the thing. In the midst of all of this that's going on, I mean, that's, this is funny, of course. I hope that you think it's funny. I feel like it's funny. I added contemplative banana to mine. That's how I felt the other day when I was uh, playing along. But even though this nickname thing is a joke and it's funny, I do think this situation has a potential to mess with our identity, doesn't it? 
I mean, this question, who am I? Who are we in the midst of a pandemic? Who are we when we have to do our jobs differently or some of us have lost our jobs and our income in this time? Who are we when we think back, who was I a month or two ago? Do I remember a month or two ago? Who am I going to be when this is all over? Hopefully not still a disillusioned Twizzler or a panicked pickle, but who are we going to be in the midst of all of this? So the identity confusion that I know I often have in life, when we, when we feel that and it's so real, but then we add to that a stressful situation, identity confusion can easily come into a full-blown identity crisis. And so what we have here are these powerful words from Jesus that tells us as our savior and leader who he is, who he came to this world to be, and how that can help us say who are we and have clarity about who we are, even in a time like this. Last week, Asha spoke about Jesus' words, I am the good shepherd from John 10. And I definitely want to pause and just get some thumbs up emojis if people want to hear Ashish preach again. Let's just hear that. We want those thumbs up emojis to have Ashish back. It was super powerful. People tuned in from all over the country, even some people from India. Not sure they're back for Pastor Steph, but that's fine. It's okay. It's cool. We're good. But I, I, as Ashish was talking about the good shepherd, I was thinking about how meaningful that image is. But tucked in the middle of John 10 is another I am statement that we almost miss sometimes. And it is the phrase, I am the gate for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the gate for the sheep. And it's perhaps one of the more cryptic I am statements of them all, where it's like, what exactly does he mean by that? And so if you have a Bible or an app and you can pull up John 10, we're going to look at this I am statement that's tucked in in the passage that Ashish was talking about last week. So as we approach John 10, it's important that we pay attention to John 9. So Whenever we look at the chapter breaks, we just recognize that at times those chapter breaks are a little bit artificial, and here's a good example of that. So to understand the context of John 10, we need to understand what just happened in John 9. Jesus is interacting with the, the, some, a man who is born blind, and he heals a man who is born blind. This is a miracle, of course, this man has never seen, and he is now able to see physically with his eyes. But in the midst of that, these Jewish religious leaders here in this text, they're called the Pharisees. They are upset about this because Jesus has done this on the Sabbath, on this holy day where no one's supposed to do any work. And so Jesus is breaking their religious Sabbath laws. And so they're not happy about it. And so they're coming to confront Jesus about that. And Jesus, instead of uh, you know, reacting to them and just listening to them or explaining himself, instead of explaining himself, he just says, hey, listen, you might have watched me heal a blind man, physically blind, but you are spiritually blind. <laughs> okay, so he throws that at them, which is definitely something that would have been more than slightly offensive to them at that time as spiritual leaders, so to speak. And it's right after he says that. He doesn't even pause. According to the text, he just blows right in to, to John 10, and as he tells them that they're spiritually blind, and then he continues to talk to them. So he's saying this to the Pharisees. Let's look at John 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 11. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, so he repeated himself. They didn't understand him. So he said, well, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. 
All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and they will go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So here's the thing about this passage. I am like a 100% city girl. And so I can count how many times I've actually seen sheep in my life. It's like nine times or something like that. And it's basically been a petting zoo or the state fair. And I have to admit, by the time I'm gone through a day at the state fair, I haven't made it all the way to the sheep part of the animal thing. All right, I'm going for the corn dogs or whatever. So I have not really been around a lot of sheep. And so maybe you have more sheep experience than me or maybe even less sheep experience than me. But this image doesn't ring as powerful for most of us as it would have for the people who are listening to this for the first time. You can actually imagine that as Jesus is speaking with these Pharisees, there's even some sheep off in the distance on a field that he's gesturing to. They might actually be standing near someone's sheep pen where he's referring to this idea of a gate to the sheep pen and Jesus even gestured or pointed to this. This is how much this would have been a part of their life. But today, in many parts of the world, we don't have any concept of that. But in other parts of the world, there are still people caring for sheep in very similar ways to the way that Jesus is describing here. The sheep would come into the pen, especially at night in the winter, because it would be cold. And we know that this is actually winter, because in just a few verses down in verse 22, it describes the fact that it's about time for Hanukkah, or the festival of dedication, it says in some passages. And it's winter. And so this would have been very real, very relevant. Bring the sheep in at night because it's cold. They need to come into the pen. So to help all of my other fellow lifelong city dwellers, I've got a one-minute video that gives you an illustration, just kind of shows you what it would be like. What would Jesus and the people who he's speaking to have seen on the regular? Check this out. Jesus spoke figuratively about one of these, a sheep pen. So a sheep pen is made up of these stone walls that come together and form a narrow opening. So before evening sets in, the shepherd gets his flock into the protection of a sheep pen, and then he himself serves as the gate to a sheep by sitting or laying in this narrow opening so that nothing can get in and nothing can get out without going through the shepherd. that this gate that opened into the sheep pen, the shepherd would actually physically put his body in that space. Jesus says, I am the gate. People would have thought immediately of what you just saw. And when Jesus says that he's a good shepherd, uh, Ashish mentioned this last week, the Pharisees would have been thinking about the dozens of times in the Old Testament where it mentions God as a shepherd, the good shepherd. So you can imagine that they're thinking, wait, is this guy saying that he is God? And they had memorized so much of this Old Testament, they knew so much of it. They would know that in the Old Testament, the leaders who are supposed to be leading the people as shepherds as well, if they're not a good shepherd, then they're going to get a warning. For instance, the prophet Ezekiel says this, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. 
It says that God is not going to let you keep leading if you don't take care of the sheep, if you exploit them, if you are a corrupt leader. God's not going to let you keep doing that and keep leading his people. So this is what they would have imagined as Jesus was speaking to them. Jesus uses then three illustrations to kind of, well, in a lot of ways, to call out the Pharisees. He uses three different images about how they have not been good leaders. And so he says three things, and let me, let me say what they are in case you didn't catch them. The first is a thief. A thief is somebody in this time who would break into a house or break into a sheep pen in this instance and invade and steal something. A robber, while it sounds like they might be interchangeable in this concept, in, the, in this first century time, would be somebody who actually hides in the wilderness and preys on passersby, comes out to the, to the path as people are traveling from city to city and assaults people and surprises them and scares them. And then there's this third image of a stranger. The stranger is unfamiliar, sometimes scary. Stranger danger, as we often say, right? So this is this concept of the fear of the unknown. And so Jesus is saying the Pharisees are a part of the threat when they should be a comfort to those who are threatened. This is a major way in which he's calling them out. But the sheep, the, 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 the sheep are representing God's people, right? The sheep are representing us. This is not a put down that you're a sheep. We're just, we're sheep today, all right? We're gonna embrace it. And so as sheep, we are vulnerable to a lot. And so here, the, the, Jesus is pointing out that the Pharisees are causing them to be threatened, but there's so much that threatens the sheep, isn't there? When we look at this, the sheep as God's people, they're vulnerable to so much. And I don't know about you, but I can resonate with that right now. I feel kind of like we are vulnerable sheep in this time. And the reality is, is that we're often vulnerable sheep in our life, if not always. Jesus says he's a good shepherd, but he's also giving kind of a reality check right now, isn't he? That a good shepherd is needed because the sheep are in danger. Even before this current health crisis that we're in, we are vulnerable to the types of things that are represented by these three roles. Look at this way of looking at it. We're vulnerable to what invades and steals. We're vulnerable to what surprises and assaults. We feel vulnerable to the fear of the unknown, don't we? Of course, a deadly virus seems pretty obvious right now, but there's other physical threats, aren't there? Some of you are like, look, I've got other physical threats I'm dealing with even more than this right now. Our identity is assaulted all the time. Our emotional health feels like it gets stolen from us, doesn't it? The fear of the unknown, our desire for certainty, it just feels like it's something that's looming over us all the time as a threat. There's this deep desire for so much of us to desperately feel like we are in control because these threats are really real. Jesus says he's a good shepherd, but he's also giving a reality check that a good shepherd is needed because the sheep are in danger. Notice that Jesus doesn't say here that there's no threat. That wouldn't be a very good leadership on his part, would it? He doesn't even say that he's going to take the threat away. Instead, he says that he's here to offer something more, to offer something more as a good shepherd and a gate, as weird as it is to say you're a gate. So Ashish pointed out three things last week. We'll put it on the screen. Three things about Jesus as a good shepherd. The shepherd knows the sheep. You see that in the passage. He calls them by name and the sheep know his voice. Second, he lays down his life for the sheep. This becomes even more tangible because we know that the shepherd lays down his physical body, his physical life in the gateway to protect the sheep. So that's even more of a powerful image. And third, he invites in the outside sheep. The good shepherd is there to guide anyone who wants his leadership. And that means you and that means me. 
Jesus is also mentioning then that he's a gate. So if he's saying he's a good shepherd, why also add this I am statement that he's a gate? So I've got three things for that too, all right, if you're taking notes. So the first one is Jesus as the gate means that he makes a way for the sheep. He makes a way for the sheep into God's presence. I love the song Waymaker that we sang first, this idea that God makes a way for us. Those who are hearing this image, who would have heard him talk about himself as a gate, would have immediately thought of passages like in Isaiah, where it talks about that prophet Isaiah is talking about the gates to the city of Zion and that they're open day and night so that people from all over can come into the city gates and into Zion, which represents the powerful fullness of God's presence. I am the gate that makes a way for you to come into the full presence of God. So if Jesus is a way to God, to way to God's presence, a way maker, then we are those who choose to enter God's presence through the way made for us. Okay, so if Jesus is a, a way to God's presence, then we choose to go through that presence and into that presence to be with God. Second, if Jesus is a gate, it means that Jesus is offering protection and safety to the sheep. So right there in verse nine, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Of course, finding pasture means they find what they need. They'll have what they need. The word translated as saved here could also be safe. In fact, in some of your Bible translations, it might even say a little note that says, you could say they will be safe or they will be saved. Jesus is our savior. Jesus gives us safety. Wait a second though. Jesus just said that there are thieves, robbers, and strangers, didn't he? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Those are really powerful words, steal, kill, and destroy. Can we be sure that Jesus will protect us from every thief and robber and stranger? The short answer is that in this life, we can't be completely sure, can we? In this life, we aren't safe from those things that are threats that Jesus mentioned. And we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus warned just a few chapters later in John 16, he speaks to his disciples. He's talking to them right before he is going to be physically stolen from them. He's going to be killed and his body going to be lain to be destroyed. And he says to them, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And then Jesus overcomes the world in the most confusing and backward seeming way by giving up and giving in to suffering and death himself. So what do we mean when we say that Jesus is our protector or Jesus is, offers safety to us? I think what we mean is that in the midst of the trouble of this world, Jesus offers emotional safety because of the promise of his presence and the Holy Spirit with us, empowering us, guiding us, comforting us wherever we are. In the midst of the trouble in this world, Jesus takes on death and conquers death so that we can be eternally protected from the power of death. Of course, many of us still struggle with a fear of death. I think that's natural. But Jesus, the good shepherd, opens this gate and invites us into his safety, saying death doesn't have to have power over us anymore. For followers of Jesus, death is not the end. For followers of Jesus, death isn't the worst case scenario. But it's hard to remember that in the midst of trouble, it's the time when we need our shepherd the most. And we desperately need the gate to God's presence to be open wide for all to come from anywhere to join in. But will we choose to walk through? I know many of you have memorized Psalm 23 before in your life. And if you haven't, that's okay. 
But I would love for you just to close your eyes for a minute. Let me just read this psalm over you that may be familiar or may be new. Imagine the scene as I read. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the valley, the evil is real. We experience evil and suffering. Jesus did. We experience death in this life. Think of the millions of people who have memorized that same passage over the last 2,000 plus years who are not physically alive anymore. We experience death in this life. No fear in the valley of death didn't mean no death. It meant no fear of death. The psalmist is saying that even in the valley of death, we can be comforted and we don't need to be afraid because the good shepherd can offer us emotional and eternal safety. That's what I want to sum that up as, the safety that Jesus offers, these two different categories. We'll put them on the screen. Emotional safety because we can experience God's peace and presence everywhere we are. Doesn't mean we won't still battle with fear and anxiety, but we can experience God's presence anywhere we are. And Jesus, the good shepherd, offers us safety eternally because we're protected over the power of death. Jesus is the gate that offers emotional and eternal protection. So that means that we are those who get to choose to trust the good shepherd in this time. Trusting God, even though the physical and temporary suffering will come, because that's not the kind of safety that Jesus is prom promising, physical and temporary. But Jesus offers comfort and eternal safety by defeating the power of death. So finally, the third thing that we see Jesus as the gate offering us is this. He offers the sheep the hope of life to the full. He offers the sheep the hope of life to the full. Jesus says in verse 10, one of my favorite verses, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That they may have life to the full. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? That is what I want. I want to be signed up for that. Is Jesus talking about life to the full and does he mean life before we die? Yes. Is Jesus talking about life to the full and does he mean eternal life forever with God after death? Yes. In Jesus, we don't wait to experience the, the earthly death in order to participate with God's eternal work of restoration. We get to join in now. There's no waiting. Our eternal life starts now. In Jesus, we get to be a part of all the wrong things being made right until everything is made new. In this world, we will have trouble, but in the midst of suffering, we get to have a life that is so much more full than it would be without Jesus. I know some of you have experienced that. I know some of you can say amen because that has been your experience. You've been through trials, you've been through suffering, you've been through trouble, but you've had a life that's been more full of purpose and meaning and mercy and comfort and God's presence and grace and love in ways that never would be possible if it wasn't for Jesus, this gate open wide, welcoming us into God's presence. And we'll get to live a life in the future, fully restored, forever with God. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't offer certainty. We can't be certain about what will happen in our lives. We can't be certain about what won't happen in our lives. But Jesus does offer 
assurance. Certainty is about knowing the future, but assurance is about knowing God is with you in your future. Let me say that again. Certainty is about knowing the future, but assurance is about knowing God is with you in your future. We can be assured that God will be with us no matter what. We can be assured that life to the full is offered now and forever. We can be assured that Jesus has conquered the power of death. We can be assured that God created us to love and to support each other no matter how deep the valley. We can be assured that Jesus is a good shepherd who can be trusted. We can be assured that the Holy Spirit is in our midst no matter where we are to comfort and guide us. We can be assured that we are all invited to be let through the safety of the gate into the loving, eternal safety of the good shepherd. We can have that assurance. But Jesus doesn't force it on any of us. We get to choose. Jesus went to the cross. He came back to life. He conquered death. He did everything necessary for us to have hope of life to the full now and forever. So here's my summary for you of what this gate means for us. We'll put it on the screen. Jesus makes a way to God's presence. We choose to enter. Jesus is our protector and safety. We choose to trust. Jesus is our hope for life to the full now and forever. We choose to give him our lives in return. I have two things that I want you to take with you today. One's a practice and one's a question. The first is a practice called breath prayers. Some of you are very familiar. For some of you, that might sound totally new. I'll have a sheet if you go to millcitychurch.com slash response. There's a whole instructions for you. But all it is simply is that you pray the beginning of a phrase as you inhale and you Exhale to finish the phrase. So you pray as you begin the phrase and you inhale and then you finish the phrase as you exhale. Okay, so I'm just going to give you three different examples that come out of what we just talked about. Okay, I'll do each of them once. The first one, inhale, I will not be afraid. Exhale, you are with me. Okay, try this in your mind and heart. Just take the deep breath with me as I read the next one. Inhale, you are my shepherd. Exhale, I trust you. The third one. Inhale, you are my hope. Exhale, I choose life in you. You can repeat that as many times as you need to. I have repeated it for many, many minutes till I fell asleep before. I have had to have it on repeat and a post-it note in my car or on my mirror to remind me of these truths and to help me breathe in God's spirit and exhale the things that are holding me back. So the second thing I want you to take with you is just this question. It's a relatively simple one, and it's this. Have I given my life to Jesus? Some of you first surrendered to Jesus as your leader and savior a long time ago. Okay, I know that. I mean, some of us were really young, and some of you, maybe it wasn't that long ago. But perhaps Jesus has gone from feeling like a good friend to feeling like an old friend that you've kind of lost touch with. What would it look like in this season to come back to him and to surrender in a new way? to give your life while you're in a state where you need Jesus in a new way in this season. But perhaps you've never given your life to Jesus. You kept him at arm's length, or maybe you're just sitting there going, look, I don't even know if this guy is real. Sure. Would you give the good shepherd a chance to come into your life and show you his love? Would you just give him a chance, just see what happens, to forgive you, to wipe away your shame, to set you free from fear, to be present with you in the midst of the valleys of life? It's the most important decision you could ever make. What's, what's there to lose? But it's faith. There's no room for certainty, but there's a whole lot of room for assurance. And I know we could use some of that right now.
Today could be your day. Today could be the day that you said, okay, yes, Jesus, I'm going to go for it. Or maybe you said yes in a new way. And it changed everything in the midst of this valley. We can have blessed assurance that Jesus can be ours. Our savior, our leader, our good shepherd, our comforter, and our friend.